Liquor Show, the podcast that is raising the bar on craft cocktails. I am your host, Louise Salas, and with me, as always, is my very talented friend. And as long as she's my Oprah, I'll happily be her Gail. <laughs> <laughs> the mixtures, DC Gina. Hi, Louise. <laughs> you got nothing on that one, huh? You know, I gotta love it. I mean, I, can I fill her shoes? I don't know. I mean, it's pretty big shoes to fill. I bet you she's got some cool shoes, though. Uh, yeah. yeah I, mean, I mean, I feel like I'd be really good at saying, you get a car and you get a car, <laughs> but I don't know if I could do. I mean. You could follow that? I don't know. I feel like for my life, I'd be like, you get a shot and you can have a shot. And I don't know. <laughs> that is not a bad place to be. No. Uh, no. But. So um, today's designated drinker, it's, it's a little different for us today. I and mean, we have some really inspirational people. Um, but this, this person has really inspired me. And I wanted to bring up something, um, although Gandhi didn't say it. And it was a little, uh, but it's to be the change you wish to see in the world. And it's a tall order. Um, and although he didn't say it, he is credited for it. But what he actually said was, if we could change ourselves, the tendencies in the world would also change. As a man changes his own nature, so does the attitude of the world changes towards him. We need not wait to see what others do. And it's incredibly inspiring and has a lot to do with today's designated drinker. It's a little very thought-provoking, but it's it's something I think we can all like we can all do in 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 that one small change has such a can have such a huge ripple effect. And then we all have that power. So With no further ado, please let me introduce today's designated drinker. Um, He's the executive director of Safer Country, Paul Friedman. Thank you very much. It's great to be here with y'all. Great. Thank you for coming. And uh, it's my pleasure, and I'm looking forward to seeing what you stir up for us. (laughs) uh, Nice (laughs) tie-in. And uh, so, you know, and and, uh, and I appreciate that that very warm and, and generous introduction. I'm not sure I've really earn that uh, wonderful accolade of, you know, seeking to uh, make such dramatic change in our society. But if I can make any change uh, for the better, uh, then it's it's worth the effort. And uh, this is a critical issue, the issue of gun violence in America. And we all know that it's gotten just so much worse in such a short time. And and, um, just as a step back for a minute, um, my background is that I'm a lawyer by training, and I've worked on Capitol Hill, I've worked in campaigns, I've worked in a variety of nonprofits over the years. And uh, even further back when I was in, uh, in my college years, uh, I lost a relative, a great aunt, to gun violence in a robbery. Oh my. We were in Florida. I was in, uh, with, uh, with, uh, on one vacation, and she was with uh, uh, a few of my other uh, relatives on another vacation on, on a winter break. Uh, it was December 1st that she went down to Miami. Uh, they were at a hotel. Uh, we had just had lunch a few days earlier early in another part of Florida. They were The three of them were followed into their hotel by four people for a robbery. A gun went off in the, in the room, um, uh, went through the bathroom door, killed my great aunt. Oh, my goodness. Uh, she was 83, and she was lovely. I just, you know, uh, it was uh, really horrible. Um, and, and that loss stayed with me for, for many years, but it wasn't until... Um, I was working as a consultant in 2016, and an organization uh, came to my attention, and uh, that was the organization created by the families of the victims of the Virginia Tech uh, mass shooting. And they had had an organization that they developed from the resources they got from that settlement. 
And they were trying to find a direction for uh, that group at that time. And um, I spoke to them about becoming executive director and thought I could make a contribution. You know, we had, were developing at that point in 2016 the need for more people to speak up on this and the feeling that there was real opportunity in the coming years, perhaps with a change in um, the people who go to Washington, that we might hmm. see some change that might be possible. So you know, I worked with them and uh, went back to the roots of their organization to find a real mission for the time I was there. And that, that mission turned out to be working on improving the background check system. And what a lot of people don't realize is that uh, it's one thing to, see, to seek a universal background check law where every gun that's sold or as many as possible are um, uh, people who buy them are put through that system where they have to you know, indicate who they are, they put it into the computer, they find out if they have a criminal record or some other issue for which they would be prohibited. And uh, that's a very important thing to get a universal background check law. But in order for that to work effectively, uh, you have to have the names in the system to begin with. Yeah. And so what uh, the Virginia Tech story, um, what I learned about that was that the shooter, a, a senior at the school who had known, they had known that he had mental health issues. And this is not to suggest that everyone with mental health problems is going to be a violent or uh, person who might use a gun. But in this instance, um, the shooter uh, had that problem. And he had actually been found by the state to be a danger to himself or others after he indicated he might commit suicide in a text. So they required him to get mental health treatment, but they didn't include his name into the background check system. And um, it's not important to go into all details why, but the important thing to note is that there was no absolute requirement. So uh, he was able to buy two guns and he was able to kill 32 people and then ultimately himself. And uh, so the families of the victims, they immediately went after the tragedy to then uh, Governor Tim Kaine, who's now a senator here in Virginia. And they said, you know, can we do something to fix this? And uh, Governor Kaine wrote an executive order to make sure that in the future anyone found to be a danger to themselves or others would be included and have their names submitted to the background check system. So if they were to go to legally buy a gun, they'd be blocked. Um, and then, fortunately, the NRA and the Brady campaign worked together to pass that into law in Virginia in a state with a Republican legislature yeah. on a Democratic governor. So um, they believed in that and they made it, they went a little further and they went to the federal government and they got a law passed there to provide available grant funds for states who wanted to improve their uh, submission of names into the system. And they also had uh, support for that across the board. Um, and so when I got to uh, the nonprofit, it was called the VTV, Family Outreach Foundation, um, my effort was to try to uh, follow up on that law and to see how well states have been doing. And although the Brady campaign in every town and actually the NRA and the National Shooting Sports Foundation, which is sort of the arm of the industry, uh, uh, they had all made their own efforts to try to encourage states to do this. Uh, there was a great deal of work left to be done, I discovered. A great deal of work. And um, so I launched Campaign 32 to address that. And um, now, in Safer Country, uh, I am attempting to go beyond that work and uh, go a little deeper. Because what I discovered is that the problem of just names of people who are a danger to themselves or others isn't 
the only thing we face. It's also getting uh, actual criminals into the system. And um, it's a nationwide problem with technology, with manpower. Um, we need to do more to get this right. We need to get more states to uh, self-report on how well they're doing, what their flaws are. But to give you an example of how significant the problem is, here in Virginia, our state police estimate that 55,000 convicted felons are not in the background check system. Wow. And, that's insane. And that's, you know, we have other people, <clears throat> even a higher number of people who have uh, misdemeanor uh, violations. And those people could be people with uh, gun violations or domestic violence issues. So um, it's critical that we fix the system that has allowed this to happen. And, um, and we make sure that Virginia, and Virginia is working on it, but they're far from having a solution to this problem. And other states, and the Justice Department has identified that this problem is nationwide. So we, we need to really uh, address this. That's why I'm creating Safer Country, and uh, that's why I'm trying to focus on this. Now, uh, so let me let me stop there for him because I, I think I've spoken enough without another question. <laughs> well, I do have a question, I, it, it, and this is an, I'm sure it's a naive look wow. at things. <clears throat> I mean, we require in order to get behind a wheel of a, uh, to drive a vehicle, you have to be on a list. You have to submit to a test. You have to you have to have a driver's license in order to do something, which can actually be a weapon as well used incorrectly um how is it where why is it that we can enforce it on something is that and again this might be a very naive look at things and forgive me if, if that be true how, where is that what is that hurdle where is this well we do have uh, we do have um regulations we do have rules about who can purchase guns obviously you have to be able to um show more information if you want to uh, carry a concealed weapon, uh, and and you have to be able to submit information to, uh, to be able to legally purchase a gun. But of course we know that um, this is a, a, a complicated issue because of the Second Amendment and because of the belief that there's a constitutional right to um, uh, purchase a gun and have a weapon at your disposal. Um, what I think most people don't realize is that uh, up until 2008, when we had a, a Supreme Court decision that was uh, written uh, by Antonin Scalia, who's yep. a conservative icon, and he wrote uh, the Heller opinion. Yep. And up until that point, uh, the Constitution had never been interpreted so that the Second Amendment would be um, a right to a gun in your home to protect yourself. Many this, the NRA had promoted that idea from the 1960s forward, um, more emphatically in the 70s, and they started to create a public relations campaign for this idea. But the court had never interpreted it that way. They had always been looked at in a different way as a militia, a larger yeah. uh, protection for uh, the society. Way, correct me if I'm wrong, the way it's written, the Second Amendment, leaves a lot of room for interpretation and actually is part of the problem, right? Well, or there is there, certainly there's always room for interpretation in uh, in in what uh, you know in our in our in our uh, in our laws and our constitutional amendments, and uh, it's up to our Supreme Court to sort of uh, sort through that. And it, it, so Heller did attempt to sort through it, and for the very first time, uh, with this conservative uh, court, uh, they found a right uh, of people to protect themselves in their homes with a handgun. But what they didn't do is what a lot of people think this court did, which is to give a broad and unlimited right 
for any reason to have a weapon. In fact, even Scalia wrote in that opinion that there was plenty of room for regulating weapons, and he particularly pointed out dangerous and unusual weapons that might include military-type weapons. And of course, we know that um, you know you can't have a, a shoulder-fired missile in you, your home. You can't drive a tank. <laughs> you can't, can't have a tank on your front lawn to defend yourself from your neighbors. On and, your front lawn. <laughs> you know, there, there's that makes a very strong statement. I'm just going to say. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, this is in Texas. Even in Texas, so you know there is a limit, and and so the question really for every but in the country is, you know, where do we, how do we define these limits and yeah. how do we define the regulations? This court basically uh, overturned a very harsh restriction or a very uh, narrow restrictions in, in Washington, D.C., but by and large, most of the restrictions have been upheld by the Supreme Court under this ruling. Most of the existing restrictions at the time from around the country have been upheld, and there is plenty of room constitutionally if the Congress were inclined to pass uh, a measure that would restrict access to certain kinds of weapons that show up and are used more often at mass shootings, perhaps. Uh, the AR-15 is commonly talked about, uh, uh, semi-automatic weapons. I'm no expert on these weapons, but I can, so I won't even suggest that I am, but I can say that you know, if our society wanted to regulate them, we could. And there is some potential value there. But the most important thing we can do is try to make sure, first and foremost, that the people we know are potential risks, people who have been convicted of crimes yes. and people who have been identified as a danger to themselves or others. We want to make sure that they don't buy guns. Now, it would be nice if we could also say, you know, guns shouldn't be allowed into certain areas. That's a very controversial thing. People want schools. some people don't want them in schools. Some people don't want them in churches. Some people don't want them in bars. Um, I'm gonna go with that's a really good idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. people get real heated after a little bit of alcohol. Yeah, well, your judgment can be slightly impaired, and you're just not making good, solid decisions. Right. So, so these are the kind of things that we have to decide as a society. But you know, when we think about these rules and we think about the problem that we're facing, we've got to think about the totality of the problem, and so. Just for example, in all the uh, wars that America has entered since its creation, we've uh, had uh, gun-related deaths of 1.2 million people. But we've had 1.5 million people killed on uh, gun-related deaths independent of war. Wow. Wow. Um, total. Yeah, total. Um, but not in one time, like fought. I mean, right? No, no, this yeah. is over the course of right. our country's Got history. Yeah. And, wow. All the wars yeah. that the U.S. has fought. Now, Last year, in 2018, 40,000 people approximately, a little under 40,000 people were killed in gun-related incidents. That's more than, you know, have lost their lives in traffic uh, incidents and car accidents, which used to be, you know, among our, and it still is a very big problem. But uh, 40,000 people, that's a lot of people in a single year. Yeah. And we're having more and more mass shootings. We know that they come along almost daily now. Um, the recent... An example of what happened in Aurora, Illinois, is very concerning because that person uh, had a, a conviction uh, in Mississippi, I believe, and it didn't show up when they put through the background check and they gave that five days and he was able to purchase a gun four or five, I think, five years ago. And then he, uh, 
oddly enough, he decided, even though he must have known about that conviction, that he wanted a concealed carry permit. And so he provided a fingerprint. And they found his criminal record when they looked at the fingerprint, which only shows that we really should be looking for a way to make sure that everybody who purchases a gun has to provide a fingerprint. And you know, you have to use biometrics and invest in a better system so that the, that uh, fingerprint can go directly to the FBI and we can check his uh, criminal records around the country. But putting that aside from him, because I think that's a little farther out before we can get to that stage, at least this person did provide their fingerprint. They were discovered to have had this problem. And so the um, city of Aurora, they sent a letter to this person and said, please turn your gun in or turn it over to someone who is legal to own a gun. But that was the extent of their effort. Wow. Um, now, here in Alexandria, for instance, uh, in, in Virginia and throughout Virginia, there would be a, a measure taken immediately by the police to go to that home and identify the person and attempt to get the gun. And that can, can also be a very dangerous procedure depending oh, on the imagine. person you're going to. So we have to be very supportive of our law enforcement's efforts in these regards. But we also have to make sure that we're doing this in places that we're not doing it currently. So there are a lot of ways we can improve um, the system, and that's one of them. And again, it's probably a naive look at things, but when you say it's a hurdle to do, like, fingerprinting, and, I mean, I travel a lot, and I have global entry, re-entry, and I had to do uh, facial recognition and fingerprints, and that's something I, just so that I can get through customs quicker. I mean, it, 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 that is of no benefit other than myself, but yet it's something that I had to do in order to get this. That's why when you say it's hurdles, again, I'm sure it's naive of me to think, but we already have that system for something that is is frivolous. Well, it's not frivolous, but it's not it's not saving anyone's life. It's saving well, me the, time. The theory, of course, is that it, you know all that system is helping protect our airplanes and, sure. and, and yes. people from terrorism. And, of course, that's very important. And uh, But people, this is a... Uh, a voluntary thing to step on an airplane, go through that system, and sign up for you know, the uh, advanced checks and so forth. Um, when you're dealing with uh, something like the Second Amendment, where people feel, uh, and there is a group of people who feel threatened about the idea that someday the state may come and take their weapon yeah. away unfairly, and um, so they're very concerned about privacy. They're yeah. very concerned about um, uh, issues like taking fingerprints. There, you know, what happens to them and records and so forth. So we have these competing interests of privacy and personal protection versus the larger community interest. And this is, a, you know, really a constant tension in our society on a number of issues. But this particular one is so important because we're seeing so many deaths. And I might add, it's not just the mass shootings. You know, those are horrific. And but, you know, we have the, the gang-related violence in our inner cities, in particular cities in the country, uh, and we have suicide. And suicide is the uh, thing that is actually such an enormous portion of the gun deaths. And, you know, the experts say that if someone could get past the point where they have a suicidal impulse and they don't have a gun in their hand, the odds of them ever having that impulse again are slim. So they will live. But, you know, guns are rather final yeah. in, in most cases. So it's really important that we try to prevent uh, people with um, that tendency to get hold of a gun. And we have to be working on you know, funding our mental health systems as well as this. But access to weapons, you know, fundamentally, that's where the problem is. E too easy access to weapon is, uh, you know, weapons is, is where the problem is. 
you, you mentioned uh, domestic violence, and I have to say, like, you know, <clears throat> gun, guns in general are used by a lot of people for, like, you know, recreation. They go to, you know, gun range and everything. But, you know, you know, I do a lot of stuff with the Women's Coalition, and, like, talk about men, that men or relationships, doesn't have to be a man, relationships in the house where there's a gun presence, present is a problem because it may never wind up in, you know, shooting, but waving and it's there becomes a control thing in domestic violence situations. And, you know, those people, um, you know, first of all, you want to shoot a gun because you want to go to a gun range, you want to do that, or you have sport, or you're into hunting or whatever it is. Like, I think that that's your right, you know what I mean, to do those kind of things. I mean, but like to terrorize, victimize, kill, shoot, do something, and we don't have a check system, like you're saying, is is more than mandatory. I mean, I feel like, you know, they make so many regulations that are just ridiculous, like when you say whatever to keep you safe, but... Well, I mean, to think about the amount of work it took you to get a license to sell alcohol. Forget it. Crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, crazy. Background check, everything like that. But, like, you know, you know, I didn't really realize putting it all together when you just said all that, I, you know, the stuff that I do for the domestic violence and then, like, obviously the mass shootings and stuff like that. I have children. You see all of that and... You know, you don't, you don't, it's not me. You know, people, people have a very, very thing, very big thing in this country to say, it's never going to happen to me. That's not my problem. I don't live in that neighborhood. I don't live in that neighborhood. That's not my crowd. Yeah. That's not my area. But like, that is a bigger problem. And I think the right, I understand the right to privacy. I live in this country. I understand our constitution. I understand the rights to bear arms and all that stuff. But like, there's got to be more to this than. One person wants to be in private because they don't want to lose their gun because God forbid something ha- something happens where they have to take they have to surrender it because they have this arsenal of weapons because they collect them because they're collectors versus this guy over here is you know his son who's got problems he broke up with his girlfriend is going to go shoot up a high school yeah so you know there are, there are a few issues there that you've, you've touched on and one of them is um, you know the safe storage of guns because people do have them in their homes and sometimes transport them in their cars. And uh, they're often stolen from cars, and they're often stolen from homes. And, um, you know, or, or they're taken out of um, some safe storage device in a home, and some child or neighbor gets access. And I, I grew up in Trumbull, Connecticut, which is not far, very close to Newtown, where the, um, the tragedy occurred um, um, at Sandy Hook. Uh, and um, uh, horrible, horrible experience up there. And uh, one of my uh, my brother's uh, friends from Trumbull, he he, he uh, had a 15 year old son uh, who went to a neighbor's home, didn't know there was a gun available in that house, and that child was killed 15 minutes after he walked into that home. And so he has been pushing a law in Connecticut and around the country to try to strengthen the law. I, to require people to properly secure these guns in their homes so that uh, young people can't get access to them and, you know, uh, this kind of tragedy can be avoided. And it's too often the case. So, uh, and of course, if, if the gun isn't used in that kind of a violent act, it can be stolen and used in, in a crime. So uh, beyond uh, the homes, the, the, uh, the stores themselves, the, the stores that are selling the guns, their security is not as good as we might think. Uh, we, we really need stronger laws to pr- make sure that they secure their weapons 
Because certainly, if you're going to go look for an arsenal of weapons, you'd certainly steal it from the place where the guns are located, yeah. right? So um, we don't have strong enough laws to protect that. And, uh, you know, we have a whole slew of laws here in, in Virginia that we have proposed to try to improve any number of these issues. Um, haven't been able to make it even out of a subcommittee in the legislature in Richmond due to Republican opposition. Um, one really interesting law that they opposed and I bring this up because it's a law that really crosses the partisan divide, and yet we couldn't get it even considered for a full vote here in Richmond. It's a law that uh, some called uh, an emergency law or a red flag law. It was uh, actually passed in Florida after the Parkland incident, after the Parkland tragedy. And uh, it was signed into law by a Republican legislature and a Republican governor and supported by the president and still couldn't get passed in this in this state. And what the law, and it has been passed in 13 other states. Connecticut was one of the early ones, California, Florida, Maryland. And the concept of the law is that if, uh, and it's designed slightly differently in each state, but if, if you see someone who is uh, someone you feel might be unstable and you know they own a gun, you can report that person to the police uh, and the police can uh, investigate if they feel there's a need to take a gun, they can do that on a temporary basis. Then that person would be here before a court, and the court would be able to determine whether the, uh, the gun should be removed for a longer period of time or if that person needs assistance. And that's an, a way to intervene on an immediate basis. Parents can report it in some cases, teachers, medical personnel, uh, certainly law enforcement, and depending on how it's written in each state. And um, you know, it's being uh, it's being effective in getting more people to communicate to the uh, law enforcement about this, intervene. If there's nothing wrong, if they've misjudged the situation, that person will get their gun back. But if they've identified a problem, they might be able to prevent a tragedy. And better to be safe than sorry, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, if we could have stopped any one of these tragedies in our country, each one has such an enormous impact that you know, uh, whether it's four or five people, or whether it's 32 as in Virginia Tech, uh, the impact is on every one of their family and friends, and that radiates out as well, of course, the enormous uh, cost uh, in dollars in, 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 a, in a variety of ways to our society. So uh, this is a law that makes a lot of sense. Law enforcement has found it very, very helpful because in the past, or in these places where this law doesn't exist, if a law enforcement person were to uh, uh, confront someone with a problem, uh, they might, unless they see an actual crime committed, they can't remove the gun. And they yeah. may be in a position to prevent a problem by removing that gun with if they have this legal authority. So uh, this kind of thing, you know, it's, it's a cutting edge law. It's one we need, but it's not something that um, we're getting here in Virginia yet. I hope more states are going to observe how successful this is and start to uh, and start to start to enact this. It's it's when you talk about like the the ripple effect of the of, of the shootings and who it affects. I think it affects society as a whole because we start to numb is the wrong word. We're not numb from it because I think every time you see something, it's like oh, there's a heaviness that plays on you. But I think that it's happening so much. You're like oh. 
there's another one. And, and is that in that larger play on society, what does that look like? How is that changing our perspective? Because we're like, oh, we've gone two weeks without in the news. I don't know. I'm just saying, like, what does that look like and how does that play on a larger scale in the long term? Well, you're right that people are, are getting uh, inured to these uh, horrific tragedies. And that, you know, in, the, in, in a few years ago, if five people were in a situation where they might be killed by a, a shooter, that would have the news cycle for a day, maybe two days or three days. Now, that news cycle has shrunk considerably. People uh, tune in. They expect yet another one of these horrific acts. They find out what the result is, and they move on to whatever the other news story is because we have become, we we have accepted the reality that our society has become sort of a, uh, uh, you know, a shooting field. It's a part of our fabric, which is... It's a frightening thought. It's a frightening thought. And and we have children, (laughs) I mean, but everybody... Uh, no one wants to be in this situation. And, no. and right or left, Republican or Democrat, um, you know, no matter what position you have on the Second Amendment, uh, no one wants their family or friends or loved ones or themselves to be caught up in one of these situations. Absolutely not. And so we all have to find a way to come together, find common ground to do some things. Now, I don't support the idea of arming every school teacher. Now, you do see some people out there saying the best thing we can do in a school situation is just arm everybody. Yeah. And one of their arguments is, well, if we put a gun in everybody, people will be more polite. Well, there are a lot of criminal places in the world, including Venezuela. I don't think they're all polite down there at the moment. And, uh, you know, the idea that everybody is prepared to deal with that kind of situation is a frightening thought. And because most people are not prepared to shoot a gun in a crisis situation, it's a in, tr- in truth, the people who train for this on SWAT teams uh, have told me that they have to train daily, yeah. regularly to be prepared for the emotional and physical uh, consequences of entering a situation like that. It is not an easy thing to do. People overestimate their ability to Absolutely. do something. They imagine themselves as the hero in a movie. But if you try to, uh, if you see a gun go off or you hear a gun go off in a movie theater in the dark, um, which way would you stand up and shoot to get the killer? Yeah. How many people are going to die if five people stand up with guns hoping to be the hero and start shooting? Yeah. Uh, This is a frightening thought. I I don't understand more bullets in that scenario. How more (laughs) bullets become the answer to that? I don't understand that. Yeah. And, uh, you know... I was listening, I have to say, I was listening on the radio on the way over here today on uh, WAMU, and they had a conversation about this very subject, which spurred this thought today. And an advocate for this idea said, uh, somebody wrote, in, wrote to the, into the radio show and they asked this question, you know, what about the people who feel that they have a right not to be living or going to school in a place where everybody is armed? Yeah. And they can live in that kind of fear that somebody could pull a gun uh, for any reason and start shooting people. And, uh, you know, and that person said, well, they can always stay home uh, because we have a right to have our guns. Well, no, they don't have a right to have a gun anywhere. The, the Heller decision, I'll go back to that for a moment, it said you have a right to a gun in your home for self-protection. The right does not extend to going anywhere and everywhere. Yeah. We can regulate where those guns can be allowed to go. Uh, that's a constitutional right now. So it's protected. We can't regulate that. We can't say, no, you can't have a handgun in your home to protect your home. But we can say that you don't have to have it in a school if we don't want it there. And if we don't want everybody walking around strapped, waiting to shoot in case they see the the slightest sign of problems, 
you know, that we, we can say no. Yeah. So tell me, tell me how, if somebody is inspired to do so, what is it that we can do to help, help be a part of that change? Well, the most important thing is to, is to be an active member of our society. Our democracy requires people to take part. It, this is not a, something where you can just put it on automatic and it'll operate itself. Uh, I think we've learned that more than ever in the last couple of years. And uh, it's critical that people communicate. Find out who your state delegate is in this state, who your state senator is. Most people would not be able to tell you who their state senator or delegate is. You know, it's a very tiny percentage of people who participate in politics, a very smaller percent who give donations to candidates and, and uh, politicians that they believe in. But it's really important that you identify. Go online. It's not hard. Google up state delegate. Google up state senator. Well, it's a lot tougher when, uh, you know, a few years back before they invented this magic power. Where, you know, the magic machine called yeah, Google. Google it up. So, uh, you know, it was a lot tougher back then. But now... It's, uh, it's, it's a cinch. So you can find out who your legislators are. And it doesn't take much to, uh, to send an email or even better, write a letter because so few of them come in. They really notice those. Or if you have, you know, make a phone call. It doesn't hurt to leave a message with uh, whoever is answering the phone for those people and say, this is my view on this. Please make our country safer. Uh, you know, do the right thing. Find a way to pass a law to reduce the likelihood of people being killed by guns in our society. I think we should uh, toast that. Yes. 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 Let's make yes. a cocktail. Yes. A cocktail. Let's make a cocktail. Um, we're going to make a, a lighter cocktail today. So we're going to keep going with like you know, safer country, safer, safer imbibing. Yes. Okay. So uh, we're actually going to do a little, uh, little nostalgic drink, which is a, a chocolate based drink. And it is an, a, a play on a chocolate soda or an egg cream. Oh. Yeah. So this drink can be made non-alcoholic super easily um, by deleting. We put in here Amaro, which is just a real. It's from Pure Mar Pure Spirits, and it's a um, really like light um, Amaro done with a little bit of cacao, so it's a little chocolate. And then I made chocolate syrup that's done with a little bit of chili, so it's got a teeny touch of heat. Okay. Sounds exciting. Okay, good. But, you know, as you're making that, I just want to add one more thought about Absolutely. politics. And that oh, is, no, we can keep going. We well, just, yeah. I do want to just toss in the fact that it was just this week, just in the last, uh, yesterday, I believe, that the House of Representatives passed a law for the first time in, in decades, I think, uh, on gun violence. They passed a law to strengthen our background check system. Unfortunately, it still has to go through the Senate. Yes. It will not be brought up for a vote in the Senate by the Republican majority. And even if it were somehow to surprisingly get through the Senate, it would be vetoed by the president. So we have a long way to go before we can get federal law to change. Um, and they would have also extended the time that you can examine whether or not someone uh, has passed the background check system. So I mean, just uh, another law that they came up with, which I thought was a brilliant idea, Right now, if they can't figure out in a three-day window when you're supposed to have your background checked on whether or not you have a criminal record, uh, this law would say, let's extend that time out until we discover one way or the other what's going on. Yeah. Let's take a look and find that record before we make a decision. Right now, the default is that you get to buy the gun, that the store can sell you that gun if they don't get the answer within three days. Wow. Yeah. But this law would have extended that time out and, and uh, only compelled... Um, some result in an emergency effort to find this if people requested it. Um, but 
the, the critical thing is that you really shouldn't have a default that says you're entitled to get a gun if we don't by know, default, yeah. by default if we don't know what your criminal record is. Yeah. And um, so, so to that note, yeah. your vote matters. Your vote matters. Your vote matters. Talk to your member of Congress. Absolutely. Make sure your senator's on our side. I, yeah. This is, I always feel guilty being a cocktail on this episode. <laughs> we're going to do something a little bit, just really like so a little bit more of the top of syrup. We're going to shake it up. And inside the cup, we shot a little bit of um, cream and soda water, which is the base of an egg cream. And now we're going to pour this uh, down the center, and then we're going to top it off with just a little bit more cream. And it is just a really... Oh, it's so pretty. Fun little cocktail. If you make it right. Look at that. You get the cream on top and then it looks like whipped cream. I don't know how I'm going to be able to take you with me wherever I go. (laughs) Keep making this right. It looks looks spectacular. Uh, I know it's, like you say, it doesn't maybe not a cocktail, but I think we should applaud you, Paul, with all of the work that you're doing. It's so important and it's important that you share with our listeners and everyone. Um, that there is a way that we can we can help, and it, and sometimes I think you can feel like almost hopeless or fearful, but the fact that there is we still have control in it, and that we just like you said, be present, be active, make your voice count. There's nothing that speaks more to that than the elections of November of 2018. Yeah, because we turned the House of Representatives from red to blue. We turned it from Republican control, who blocked this vote from being passed, to Democratic control. And it has passed. And so that is the potential throughout the country. We can change other elections. We can change, We can win other Senate seats. We can change who is in the White House. We can do it. Yep. We just have to show up to vote. And you know, half the country in general does not vote. Which is half. ridiculous. That's, it's a, it's a, a right that we have. And let's cheers to change cheers. into all those hard efforts. Outstanding. Oh, that's dangerous. Marvelous. Ooh. I love the kick. So good. I love the kick. It's delicious. Yeah. At wow. the end? Mm. Yeah. This is a little kick. Oh, it's so lovely, Gina. Oh, when yeah. would you serve this? After dinner. Oh, After yes. dinner. It's dessert. After dinner. It's yeah. dessert. Oh, it is dessert in a glass. Or if you were going to do like a barbecue, like hamburgers and hot dogs, you want to have like a little nostalgic, you know. Like a little boozy set. So yeah, but I mean like a little upscale, you know, hamburgers and hot dogs, like, yeah. you know. You know, with your smoked bacon and, you know, uh, <laughs> that kind of barbecue. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not, not the ones that my kids like. They're like, Mommy, cook it till it's so gigantic. Well, I definitely think we have to keep these away from the kids. That's well, definitely... Uh, my kids love egg creams, not with... Uh, not with the kick. Yeah, not with the kick. But that's why I love making these drinks. If you have if you have kids at home, you're entertaining your friends, you're coming over, someone, you know, yeah. it's easy. You already have one ingredient, you have all the ingredients, and then you just add it to the adult drinks. Cool. Gotcha. Yeah, I like to do... Uh, both. There we that go. That is great. Well, wow. Let's, let's uh, have a few. Let's sit back, talk about how we can uh, make change. Be it, you know, be the change. Be, be the, the change. change. Go right. out and vote. Be mm-hmm. the change. Join. So on that note, before I get a little housekeeping, before I do this, uh, before we go out, um, if you want this um, this recipe, uh, Gina's amazing. Egg cream chocolate soda deliciousness. Amaro egg cream, we're good. <laughs> um, head over to designateddrinker.show. Where are they going, Gina? The designateddrinker.show. And she'll, her, uh, she'll have all her pro tips and how to's and ingredients. And the other thing we want to do is make sure that um, when you're ready, that we'll have an active link for people to learn more about what you're doing and we'll how to stay. It. Yeah, and definitely be a 
be a part of that and be supportive in any way that we can. Sure. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, thanks thank for being you. here. Cheers. Thanks for having a cocktail with us. My pleasure. Thanks for all thank your hard you. work. Well, thank you for hosting this show, for preparing this wonderful drink. You guys are doing a wonderful service going out to the community, talking to people like myself and bringing more knowledge to people and, and having fun doing it. So Absolutely. That's really great. Cool. Thanks. Thanks. You're